God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted in behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Therefore, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others." Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us prepare to worship our God, uh, to bow the knee, to bow the heart, uh, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let's take a moment of silent meditation and preparation. Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Father who art in heaven. The call comes from Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So what have we been called to do? To praise, to sing, to rejoice in the Lord. So let's do so, uh, beginning with hymn number 570, if you need it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll be singing, uh, declaring the attributes of God, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That's hymn 224. So let us lift our voices and do what we've been commanded, and that is sing to the Lord. the transcendent God, invisible, immortal, the only wise God, you who are all-powerful, you who are the sovereign ruler of all, we come to you 
because you've called us. What a privilege it is to not only to gather together here in Dickinson, but more importantly, to gather together in the Spirit in heaven where we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We pray that you would enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Grant unto us that we may forget those things that are behind and reach forth to those things which are before us, even you. We pray, O Lord, in all that we say and all that we do this day, that you would be pleased. For we exist for your purposes. You've created us, you sustain us, you redeemed us. We are your servants. And so we pray that you'd enable us to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords by joining with all of creation in worship of you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, once again, we have opportunity to confess our sins, and we will do that with a responsive reading found in the Heidelberg Catechism, questions 3, 4, and 5. I will read the light type if you could respond in the dark. From where do you know your misery? Out of the law of God. What does the law of God require of us? And son. Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, for I am prone by nature to hate God. Confession of sin humbly. Should we... Do so. Why would you do so? Why would you humble yourself? Well, one statement in John, the first letter is what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have opportunity to get right with God. That's what we're doing right now. Have you sinned against God today? Have you sinned against God this week? Yes. If anybody who says that he didn't, come talk to me afterwards. We'll, we'll talk about that. And now, how many times have you sinned today? Probably many, many times, without even knowing. Secret sins. So let us go before the Lord. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we do acknowledge that all sin is an offense to you. Your word says that sin separates us from you. And it is a violation of your command to love you with all. And in many ways, in our sins, we have sinned against our neighbors, our fellow men. Both in thought, from the heart, as well as outward expression of it, word or deed. 
We have not loved you as you have commanded us since you've created us to serve you, but we've not loved you, we've not served you with our whole heart, our mind, our strength. We've been guilty of looking up for ourselves, being self-centered, self-willed, guilty of will worship, creating other imaginary gods, other things to satisfy ourselves. Not being content, but covetous. Not honoring you the way you deserve. Not only as our creator and sustainer, but also as our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name, your person, your work. And so we do acknowledge that we have not lived for you today, this week that we sinned against you, or we've offended you personally. And we hate those things. We hate it when we realize we hate it that our sins offend you. We've broken your law. And we understand that the wages of those things is death. And we look and see that the death of Christ on the cross was necessary. Lord Jesus, as you were in the garden, you prayed and asked if there was any other way, and there was no other way, but by death on the cross. And you became a curse in our place. You who knew no sin became sin. We do confess, O Lord, that we deserve eternal wrath and punishment in hell for our sins. And yet we look to the one sacrifice once offered on the cross, even you, Lord Jesus. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we look to you, Lord Jesus, trusting in your statement on the cross, it is finished. The debt has been paid. We thank you, O Lord, that through your resurrection, you've declared to be the Son of God with power, the power to forgive us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ to us personally, that we are accepted in the Beloved. And so we pray that you would strengthen our faith and help us to be able to now lift our voices in faith and in praise for what you, Lord Jesus, have done for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so let us do so. Hymn number 341. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Let's turn to 341 and stand and sing.
possible that it's there in front of you? And if you would turn with me to question number 23, found on page 22. As we join with those that have gone before the past 2,000 years, or at least 1,700, confessing in a summary fashion the triune God as revealed in the Bible. And so, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And again, we say Catholic, we're using the word universal. All right, and if you'll turn back a page to Lord's Day number 5, we have questions 12, 13, 14, and 15. Uh, again, we just covered in the first uh, uh, four Lord's Days how great our sin and misery is, or our need, or our problem. Um, and now we begin focusing on the grace of God, man's redemption. And so I'll read the question, if you'll please respond with the answer. Lord, say number five, number, uh, question 12, since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How may we escape this punishment and be again received into favor. God wills that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full satisfaction to that justice, either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our guilt. Can any mere creature make satisfaction for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it. What kind of mediator and redeemer then must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. Right, uh, next week we'll be going into and explaining what it means, why did he have to be a true and righteous man, and why he had to be true God. But let's just stop and think about it. Again, one of the words that is found throughout the catechism is the word satisfaction. 
God must be satisfied. He is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the, re- he is the sustainer. Providence is his work. You live, you move, and you have your being only because of God. Do you know that? The reason you rose out of bed today was because of God. The reason you, you just took a breath is because of God. As the Puritans said, every time you inhale, you breathe in the mercy of God. You know that? The reason your body doesn't fall apart, the reason the heart doesn't stop, the reason that everything exists and continues is because of God and his faithfulness. And he is also a holy and just God and must punish violation of himself. Does it sound strange to say that God loves himself? God is love. Does God the Father love the Son? Does God the Son love the Father? Did they love each other? Did the Holy Spirit love the Father? Did they love each other from all eternity? Definition of love is care and concern for something outside of yourself. Did they, were they caring and concerned for each other throughout all eternity? And the answer is yes. Well, sin is an attack on the thing that God loves the most, himself. If he loves, he must punish. And so justice is the starting point. By the righteous judgment of God, we deserve in this life and in eternity punishment because it's a sin against the infinite, eternal God. And so that justice must be satisfied. And the question is, can you do it? Can you satisfy God? Can you be good enough? Can you do enough? The answer is no. Even if you were to do everything that God called you to do from the moment you were conceived all the way through, you would still be saying, I'm an unprofitable servant because I've only done what was required. But the problem is we've sinned. And so that puts us in debt. And God's justice must be satisfied for our debt. And so can you satisfy God's justice? No. Can any mere creature satisfy God's justice? No. What, must, what kind of mediator and redeemer then can? And there's only one. And he said, only by me. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, finish the sentence, but by me. Does anyone, here's the thought, have you ever heard the statement, all roads lead to God? Have you ever heard that statement? All roads lead to God. I would actually say that that's true. All roads lead to God. The question is, What are you going to do when you get there with your sin? What are you going to do? How are you going to explain away your rebellion against the king in front of the king who is offended by you? Can you give an answer that would satisfy him? And and I would say yes, the answer is Jesus died in my place. He 
he experience what I deserve. And further, he fulfills all that God requires of me, of you require of me, and I receive that righteousness by faith. And so I'm righteous in Christ in an heir of eternal life. So I only can, their only boasting in heaven is going to be boasting in Jesus, isn't it? Glory, glorifying the, the triumph God. And so he is that true and righteous man, and yet he was more powerful than all creatures. He was also, or he is also true God, the God-man Jesus Christ, our mediator, our savior, and as the hymn says, the lover of our souls. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, let's now prepare for the sermon in uh, turning again to our hymnal and turning to Psalm 119. Uh, we're singing 119E. 119 is uh, a psalm about the Word of God, multi-layered, multi multi-faceted uh, Word of God in that sense. So let's stand and sing, teach me, O Lord, your way of truth. Please turn in your Bibles to our text. We're actually focusing this morning on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, primarily. So let's go, but let's go ahead and start with, I'm going to read a verse from 
a couple verses from chapter 5, which sets up what we're reading in chapter 6, and then we'll read chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. See then that you walk accurately, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be under the controlling influence of wine, in which is dissipation, but be under the controlling influence of the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. As we sang, we pray that you would give us that kind of heart, an obedient heart, a heart that desires to learn and to grow and to know you better and to serve you and to please you. As it says uh, negatively, not men pleasers, we do pray that you would enable us, grant unto us, and strengthen our faith, grant unto us the ability, uh, for your word says that without faith it is impossible to please you. And so, Lord, as we have been created and sustained by you, we are your servants. All mankind is your servants. We pray that we would not be identified, we would not be among those who are in rebellion, rebellious servants, but we pray that you would enable us to be obedient servants, having been redeemed from all rebellion through Jesus Christ. We pray these things now for your glory's sake. Teach us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, a little bit of Hebrew uh, this morning. Hold up your hand. Okay, this is your yod. Okay, can you say yod? Yod. yod. Okay, this is your hand. 
This right here is your Zoroma, or Zorola, Zorola. And this is your Shechem. Okay? But this is the one I want to focus on, your Yod. Okay? Your Yod, I should say, your Yod. What does your Yod do for you? Well, it enables you to move things, right? It enables you to write. It enables you to do things. It empowers you, and that's what the Hebrew thought is, is that your hand, your yod, is also your ability to do something. And so is your arm, and so is your shoulder. So they, when they wanted to talk about the, the power of God, the arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. Right? The hand of the Lord. So... You have a hand, you have hands and arms and shoulders, you're able to raise them, you're able to do something, but why? Why do you have a hand? Now, I'm not asking why as far as mechanics. I'm asking about purpose. Why do you have a hand? God gave you your hands, arms, shoulders, your body, and arm. Why? What is the purpose of your body? What is the purpose of your being? And that is God has created you to serve him and his purposes for you. Now, I'm not saying anything probably profound. You already know that, right? But do we actually live it? Do we actually take that in consideration? When you're in school and you're studying, are you doing it because that I'm serving God or because I'm trying to get a grade or graduate, get my degree and go on with life? When you're at work, why are you working? What is the purpose? Oh, to make money. Really? We are all created to serve God. Back in the late 70s, there was a very famous musician I don't know, is he still around? Is Bob Dylan still around? I think he's still around. Well, he went through a conversion experience, and he wrote a song, and I've mentioned it before. And the, and the song was what? you got to serve somebody. In, in the lyrics, he goes, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. True? True. We serve. We're servants. Don't like it? Tough. That's who we are. If the question is, who are you going to serve? And so my, my main point there is, he's saying that he was right. Serving someone is inescapable. No matter who, why, or how you serve, your identity and your destiny are tied to the one you serve. So who do you consciously serve and why do you do it? Okay. The Bible says that we are born in sin, 
Born in darkness, in the kingdom of darkness, every human being is born serving the devil. However, by grace, God redeems and translates rebels into his kingdom, into the kingdom of the son of his love. Where do you stand? Which kingdom are you in? Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation, or are you trusting in yourself? That is the most important question you could be asked and answer. It's life or death, eternal life or death. Well, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, a, look, a book of grace. Remember, I've said, I referred to this as the letter of grace with the emphasis on following Jesus. Remember in chapters 1 through 3, the main focus that Paul says is that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We who have trusted in Christ are not only, you are not only seated here on earth, but more importantly, in Christ who is seated in heaven, which you confessed just a moment ago, that he's seated at the right hand of God. Paul says the believer is seated with him. That is who we are in Christ, already there, because Christ is there. And so he establishes our identity. Who are you? Well, I am a Christian, I am in Christ. That's who I am. I was in Adam from birth, but he translated me out of that into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And so now I'm seated with him in heavenly places, and then he goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, and repeats himself through chapters 4, 5, and 6, therefore walk according to who you are. If you are seated in heavenly places in Christ, you still got feet on the ground, now you're to use those feet to walk with Jesus through this life. Because he's here. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so he goes on to describe what it is to walk with Christ. And the contrast with walking with Christ or walking with the world, the flesh and the devil. And he calls us to submit to Christ. And then we will begin, starting, Lord willing, next week, to look at the third command there in chapter 6, and that is the stand. So again, if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, sit, walk, stand. So we're coming to the end of this walking with Jesus aspect. Notice what I read in chapter 5, we are called to walk accurately. Walk in the Spirit, being under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Walk in wisdom, in submission to the Lord. So we come to this text is talking about bondservants. Now, are you a bondservant? When you hear that term, does that term just kind of fly by you? Bondservant. What, what is a bondservant? Well, if I were to say slave, would that have a little bit clearer understanding? 
Are you a slave? Oh, I'm offended that you even asked that question. I'm a slave to no one. Wouldn't that be the, if you were to ask that question, let's say on the campus of Dickinson State University, if you walked up to a student at there and you said to them, are you a slave? What kind of reaction would you get? Maybe not get punched out, but they would be offended, right? Right? Well, what did, what did Bob Dylan say? You can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you've got to serve someone. Why? Because you're a slave. That's offensive. Oh, what are you talking about? Yes, we're all slaves of one or the other. But in particular, now he's saying, well, what about those who have a master on earth? Or a boss would be the proper language. What about those who are students who have a professor? (laughs) What about uh, children? We already addressed that, right? Obey your parents. They're your master. As a matter of fact, the term, the, the title Mr., do you know where that comes from? Mr. comes from master. Miss, uh, miss comes from mistress, a female master. We work, we serve our Lord, and one of the ways we serve our Lord is in positions of service to others. We're called to serve one another. So he's talking in particular to slaves, bond servants, and masters. So he talked about husbands and wives in chapter 5. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he talked about children and parents. And now he's coming to these covenant uh, um, situations of employment, masters and servants. Now, one of the things that doesn't come through real well in the English translation is the word master there. It is the word Lord, kyrios. It's used five times, both of human masters and also of the Lord, Jesus Christ. In other words, the point that is made here is we all have a master, God. Okay, summary. We all have a master, God. He's the king, we're the servants. He's the master, we're the slaves. And we are all servants. And we are called to reflect our Lord and master. Psalm 24 starts off, the earth is the Lord's and all its Fullness. He is the sovereign creator and owner of all things. He owns every beat of your heart. He owns every cell in your body. And he maintains them. Paul writes in Colossians that in Jesus Christ, all things are held together. The universe is held together personally by Jesus. Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? All things are his. All things were created by him and for him. All things have been committed into the hands, into the yod of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns from heaven over earth now, right? 
Not someday, but now. Jesus reigns. He's the king. He's seated at the right hand of God, exercising that authority. And so what is the point here? We live in a world that is in rebellion against his rule. True or false? Is the world at war with God? Should we be surprised at wars breaking out, murders? The answer is no. The world is at war. We're at war. The devil is at war. His name means adversary, Satan, adversary. He's the usurper. And so, whether we like it or not, we are in the middle of a pitched battle that started in the garden and will end when Christ returns. There's no demilitarized zone. There's no place to hide. You're either for him or against him. And so the question, and this is the important question, is who do you serve? To what do you yield your members, your hand, your heart, your time, your talent? Dylan had it right. You can serve the devil, or you can serve the Lord. Or I wrote it down here, you can serve yourself, Satan, or the Savior. Which? Lord, do you serve? So that's the first point. Remember who you are working for. Secondly, second point, remember why you are here in the first place. Is that important to have purpose, to know your purpose? Does it help? The answer is yes. You were created for the glory of God, to honor, glorify, and reveal God. That's you're creating the image of God. Right? That's your purpose. If you didn't know why you were here, that's why you're here, to glorify God. That other people will see Jesus, right? That's why you're here. You're created to glorify him. And you're created to reveal him, reflect him. What was Jesus? When Jesus came to earth, what did he come to do? He humbled himself and became obedient became a servant, became a bond slave. We just read that in Philippians, didn't we? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. What are we called to do? To humble ourselves, to repent of our rebellion against Christ, and to trust his redemption through his life, death, and his resurrection. That's our calling, isn't it? That's why we're here. To turn from the rebellion that we were born into to Christ and to trust in him alone. What, is John, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 10, the summary of the gospel? The 
Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Do you do so? Do you confess Jesus as your boss, as your curios, Lord, master? Is he the master of your life? Is he the Lord? And therefore, you're called to reflect the household relations with Christ. If I am saved by Christ, I am a son and daughter of God. God is my father, and I am called to honor my household, the household of God. I'm here to serve. And so it is in our text. Bond servants. Be obedient to those who are your curios, your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. As you work for your boss, or if you're a boss, or you work for your boss, you're ultimately working not for him or her, but for Christ. That's what it's all about. Husbands and wives, in submission to Christ. Children and parents, in submission to Christ. Employees and employers, or servants and masters, in submission to Christ. Why? Because you are a bondservant of our Lord Jesus Christ and are free to serve him from the heart. Interesting thought. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave who is free. Interesting thought. I'm free in Christ. I no longer serve the devil, the flesh, the world. I'm free to serve, to fulfill what God has created me to do. That's why the law of God is referred to as the law of liberty. I'm free when I'm following God's word, when I'm doing what he has commanded I am free. I'm bound to Jesus as his servant, and I'm free from the enemy. That's the context of our text. And so the third point, remember what is required of stewards or managers. Now, the focus uh, there would be the latter part with masters, but in a sense, we're all stewards we're all managers. We're managers of our lives, of our, of our bodies, of our, of our minds, and so on. And so let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we preached on this uh, command, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And one of the comments afterwards from one of the parents was, well, what about the parents? We talked to the kids, but what about the parents? So... I said, uh, we'll get to it. So here we are. Let's back up a little bit. As managers, fathers, look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. As managers of your household, fathers and mothers. Okay? Here we have the household in the sense of bondservants and masters, but even before that, as Fathers and mothers, 
Notice the negative. Do not provoke them, your children, to wrath. Through severity, through injustice, through partiality, through unreasonable exercise of authority. Can we do those as parents? Can we show partiality? If we do, the kids definitely notice, don't they? Injustice, severity, being unreasonable in using our authority. But notice he says positively, to bring them up, to nurture and admonish them in the Lord. Isn't that what we were doing, in a sense, reminding ourselves last week, last Sunday? We had 10 children who were brought into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And the parents, if you remember, vowed to disciple those children, God's children, in the faith. And you, congregation, also vowed to help. Remember? These children, some are here and, and some are not today, are called now by God to walk in submission to Christ, identified with the Father. They can say, Abba, Father. They can say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They are disciples of Christ. And guess what, parents? You're the number one responsible teacher, master, discipler, right? Is that what Paul is saying here? Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Instructing them, disciplining them, admonishing them, positive and negative. That's the calling of fathers in particular in the text, but also as well. Charles Hodge, commenting on this verse, said the following, and I think uh, he's talking about discipleship of parents and children. He said, religion, and I'll say discipleship, therefore is as necessary to the development of the mind as knowledge. And as Christianity is the only true religion, and God in Christ is the only true God, the only possible means of profitable education is the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is, the whole process of instruction and discipline, or just, yeah, discipline, must be the one he describes, which he administers, so that his authority should be brought into constant and immediate contact with the mind, the heart, and the conscience of the child. It will not do for the parent to present himself as the ultimate, the source of knowledge and possessor of authority to determine truth and duty. This would be to give his child a mere human development. Nor will it do for him to urge and communicate everything on the abstract ground of reason, for that would be to merge his child in nature." It is only by making God, God in Christ, the teacher and ruler on whose authority everything is to be believed and in obedience to whose will everything is to be done that the aims of education can possibly be attained. 
And I have a little illustration of that. Years ago, I had a son who got frustrated with his mother, a teenage boy, and his comment was, why does everything have to relate to the Bible? And I don't know if you said it or I said it, because everything relates to the Bible. Right? Everything relates to the Bible. I don't care if it's wrestling relates to the Bible. I don't care if it's working in the oil fields. I don't care if you're running truck. I don't, whatever it is, does it relate to the Bible? And the answer is yes. Motivation. Goal. And so his argument here is, fathers, your goal is to disciple, to train and admonish your children, those under your authority, in the Lord. So, you're welcome. But in particular, focusing on our text, why does he start off with slaves? Why does he start off with bond servants? Why does he say obey? Is it easy to obey someone? Is it hard to obey someone, especially if he or she is a, not a nice person? Right? Do we rebel against authority? Is that natural? And the answer is yes. From birth. Be obedient. Listen and obey. Respond to accept children with parents, servants. Let's just use the word employees or students or whatever. Those who are according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying here, a slave, a servant, has two masters. One on earth, one in heaven. He has his one over him in authority, her over her in authority, and Christ. So how do we do that? How do we honor Christ? How do we serve Christ when we're at work, when we're at school, when, when we're out and about? Notice what he says. Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh. How? With fear and trembling. Kids, do you fear and tremble in the presence of your parents? No, probably not. But how about respect? Do you respect your parents? I think so. I've seen it. I've seen you say to your father, for some of you, I've seen you say to your father, Sir, is that a good thing to say to one in authority? Sir, is that contra our culture? Yes. With respect. Conscious care, respecting someone else is to care, consciously care for them. Secondly, to serve. So, so your boss, respecting your boss, respecting your teacher, respecting those in authority. How about simplicity of heart or singleness of heart, sincere obedience, undivided service? That's a pretty challenging call, isn't it? 
employee. Do you serve your master of the, in the flesh, your boss, your teacher, with simplicity of heart? Sincere, heartfelt service. Is that easy to do? No way. Especially when he asks you or she asks you to do something you don't want to do. Right? What is the old statement? I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Sincerity of heart. Undivided service. As to Christ. There's the solution. How do you do it? When your boss asks you to do something that is just a terrible, awful, dirty, difficult job, or your teacher gives you an unreasonable paper that has to be written within an unreasonable amount of time, what are you doing it for? You're doing it for Christ. Christ is calling you to do that, to glorify him. Does it make it easier? Yeah, it does. If I know who I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for Christ. As servants of Christ, he says later. Notice he goes into the negative. Not with eye service, not as men pleasers. Are we guilty of that? Do we want to look good in front of our boss? Do we want to look good in front of our... He says, in a sense, Christ's eyes are everywhere. You shouldn't serve for man, but Christ is watching. Not as men pleasers, because we're called to please Christ. Is there a difference between pleasing Christ and pleasing our master? And the answer is yes, there's a difference. But there is an element of truth. And then he goes positive again, doesn't he? As servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, the whole inner man, with good will doing service as to the Lord. Can you do that on your own? Can you serve your boss from the heart? The answer is no. I need help, right? Shortest prayer in the Bible, help, Lord. When you're called to serve, when, you, when your heart's not in it, Lord, grant me the grace. Unite my heart to fear your name. Grant me the grace to do this unto you, whatever the task is, as servants of Christ. And notice he actually gives us an encouragement, doesn't he? Knowing this, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, from his master, whether he is a slave or free. So Paul is exhorting servants to be servants of Christ. He's calling us to serve Christ. And then he goes on to say, and you, masters, do the same thing. Just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you don't have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You're called to do the same thing. With Christian, 
consideration, he says. But masters, do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So masters, like parents, live in service to Christ. That which your God has called your children, your employees, your co-workers, whatever, to do. Remember Joseph. What happened to Joseph? He was sold into slavery. What did he do with it? Did he sit around moaning and complaining about being his brothers sold him off into slavery? No, he worked. He served Potiphar. And guess what happened? Potiphar's wife tried to set him up. Did set him up. He ended up in prison. What did Joseph do? Did he moan and complain? This is so un- life is so unfair. Now I'm in prison. What did he do while he was in prison? He served the warden. He served the Lord. And while he was there, there were two men that were thrown into prison, and they had dreams, and he interpreted the dreams for them. And the one, they both had happened. One was killed, and one lived, and forgot all about Joseph. Did Joseph complain? Oh, man, he forgot me. I mean, a year later, Pharaoh has a dream. He remembers, oops, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, yeah, I made a promise. Next thing you know, Joseph, what is he doing? He's a servant of Pharaoh, direct servant of Pharaoh. Remember Joseph. Remember Daniel, another one. He was, his life was threatened. He was called to serve. He was challenged to compromise, wasn't he? You can't pray to God for 30 days. And what did he do? He went into his room. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he prayed just like he did three times a day. And they threw him into the lion's den. He served the Lord. More importantly, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We said earlier in our confession, he descended into hell. And the catechism says, well, the focus there is not hell, the place of torment, but all the time that he lived on earth, it was hell for the holy Jesus. Can you imagine being holy, growing up with your brothers and sisters who are sinners and there are rebels and mother and dad which are rebels and things that are happening around in your neighbors and everybody is at war with God, hating God, living in sin and you have to put up with that? He suffered all the time of his life and especially at the end of his life. He bore in his body and soul the weight, the wrath of God. Remember, have that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul says to the Philippians. In summary, it is required 
in stewards, that one be found faithful. Isn't that what you want to hear at the last day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that why you're created? Why you're redeemed? Was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? So again, once again, consider your hand. Use it to the glory of God and use it to enjoy him forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that through the service of your only begotten son, that he freed us, that he rules over us for our good and your glory. We thank you that you have translated us, transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. We pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to be good bondservants, faithful managers of the things that you've given to us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes in our offerings. Father in heaven, we do commit to you these tithes and offerings, the works of our hands, acknowledging that all belongs to you as we heard. The earth belongs to you and everything in it. We're called to be managers, and we give back to you a portion, acknowledging that all belongs to you. Help us, O Lord, to manage these resources for your kingdom purposes, as well as all things you've given to us, including life and breath and all things. We also come to you as your children and... We understand that you have commanded us to ask you, ask of you the things that we need for your glory. Yes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. And so therefore, give us today the things we need. And so we pray for that. We pray for being provided the daily breath, the daily bread, the abilities to serve you in whatever capacities we've been called to. We pray, O oh Lord, uh, that you would help us in our relationships with one another, grant unto us a, a forgiving spirit, the ability to forgive. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would also equip us for the warfare that we face every moment of every day. Help us to put on that whole armor of God, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We do pray, O Lord, for the needs of those in our midst and those outside. We think of some who are uh, struggling with health issues, as is mentioned in the bulletin. 
There are some that are struggling in their relationships with their spouses, with their children, with their family, with their co-workers. Oh Lord, we pray, we ask for peace. and We ask for reconciliation. Enable us, O oh Lord, to be um, uh, ministers of reconciliation to those that are apart from you. O oh Lord, grant us opportunity uh, to share the gospel both in life and in word. We ask, O oh Lord, for our church as we are getting ready to have our congregational meeting this morning. We ask for your blessing and wisdom concerning the decisions that are made. Uh, we ask, O oh Lord, that you continue to uh, raise up men for the ministry. We thank you, Lord, for Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Cox being willing to serve as deacon. We pray wisdom to the congregation concerning that. And we do uh, pray, O oh Lord, for our children. We thank you for them, and we pray that you'd help us to be able to disciple them in the faith, not only as parents, but even as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we ask, O oh Lord, for your blessing to be a blessing and that the world may know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for our closing hymn this morning, if you will once again turn in your hymnals to hymn number 533. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after your will. So let us sing 533. And let's make it a prayer.
blessing and benediction. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto life eternal. Now to him is, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever.